Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. Here we are. We're going. I'm excited. You just sort of flip that switch and then it is go time. And I can't wait to introduce you to our guest today. She is an absolute badass, entrepreneur, marketing thought leader, technology innovator. And these are my words. This is all the things that I've experienced and I've known her for just a little bit now. Um, And really for her, it's all about changing the game, not accepting the status quo. This is how we always did it. No, 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 no. Smash and grab. And that's going to play perfectly into today's show. I can't wait for you all to learn from her. I can't wait to learn from her. She has a passion for marketing analytics, which is so important for marketers today. She's a battle-hardened veteran of public relations, principal owner of Oros Analytics, founder and principal of Cook Communications. Kim Cook, welcome to the show. Thank you, Casey. Good to be here. Man, you're doing so much these days. (laughs) It's been a little busy lately, for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you've been really pushing boundaries and trying different things and you're innovating. So I'm going to stop talking over here and I'm going to pass you something. It's kind of heavy, but I know you work out. So here you go. Okay. So here we go. Thor's hammer. Take that. You got it? Yes. Look at that. Backhand grab. Do you play tennis? Dang. Yes, I do. Well, I can tell. Clearly you took <laughs> Thor's hammer with just one hand here. I'm like carrying it with two hands and I'm you know, bending from the knees, of course, but take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception, set the record straight once and for all. Okay. I think a myth that needs to be broken or smashed is that you cannot prove the true value of your marketing efforts, particularly uh, to the bottom line. Man, what a myth. Yeah. I, I, I think a lot of people believe that because it's too hard. There's too much data. You can only prove so much. Um, you can only the, like the marketing data stops at the native platform and you can't dig any further or it's too hard to look at this and then look at that and then look at this and all these data points and determine what uh, your va- where the value lies. And I think a lot of people just think it's it's too hard or they just uh, think the efforts themselves because marketing, digital marketing in particular changes so much so quickly that just executing takes all your time and energy and the report, you know, just slap a PowerPoint together and do some key points and a graphic and maybe some video and a dog and pony and it'll be good enough. And, you know, and when you first mentioned this, I immediately thought of the leadership team not believing marketing and justification. But I, what I get from you as well is oftentimes worse than all that is the marketer themselves not believing that they can show the ROI. And if you can't prove yourself, man, you are the first to go when there's a problem or there's a COVID or there's a situation in your company and they're going to they're gonna lighten up the load. If you're not proving yourself, you're usually the first out. Right. And I think historically that has been marketing, right? Yeah. I'm a marketer forever. And and because you can't prove or because marketers think you can't prove uh, marketing as a business driver, 
then you're out. I mean, when it comes time to budget, I mean, marketing is always seen as extra, right? Right. It'd be great to have marketing when we have budget. And, but when we, when we're sales are down, boy, marketing goes out the window and that's the last um, time you should do that. Right. That's the, yeah. And we're, we're extra because we're not proving it. Right. Sales by default is showing the deal. Right. All the other people are kind of showing, look, if I didn't do this and you wouldn't have the sprocket or you wouldn't have the the product to sell, but in sales is the, and we sold it. Marketing's like, we kind of make it all work. And it's like, yeah, that's not good enough. Yeah. 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 And sales is always proving, right? Sales is driven to prove. They're always saying, look, what we brought, look what we brought home. Here's the, here's the, our effort and look what we brought in. And you could always do the ROI or you can just always see what, what they're doing in the bottom line. And that's what I believe every company um, owner or CEO wants to see. That's where the rubber meets the road for them to their board. And so that's where marketing has to prove itself. And I just don't think historically uh, marketing has done that. And I think it's because marketers think it's too hard to do takes too much time. I mean, our philosophy has always been, right? Get clients, do something amazing for them, tell them what you did. It's really, that's, it's that simple when you boil it down, right? I think marketing, or at least if I look at my own firm, I think that's where we fell down. That's where we've always fallen down is tell them what we did. Or the report just says, here were our execution efforts, right? And, and what does the CEO care about? that they're like okay yeah that's that's fine right but what did it get what's the value of your efforts and we intrinsically know them as marketers right we know we moved the needle we know we had some brand awareness now we know we had clicks to open and web traffic and web traffic on the right thing um but i just don't think we ever have spent the time to make those connections for the business owner or the ceo to say, this is our true value and you shouldn't be cutting us when um, the budget rolls around. You should be giving us more money to do more of what we're doing because we're driving those qualified leads to your sales team and looking for more qualified leads to build out that sales team's pool, right? Right. And I think sometimes even worse is if if you're not proving it out, you may not even believe it anymore. So when you mentioned that sometimes we intrinsically know it, I think there's a lot of marketers who also don't, who aren't even sure. And if you're not even sure, just this is, this happens. If you're not even sure you do anything in the company either, then of course you're not going to try to prove it. And man, that just sucks to have a job that you don't really know if you're contributing or not. So hard or not, you got to do this. If, If that's what we shouldn't be doing, what is the right answer? How, how do we prove it? Is it always hard? Does it have to be hard? Um, how do you address I think it's this? getting easier? I think okay. digital, digital media has made it easier. I, I do think the hard part lies in the, um, in the first step, really, for me. Uh, and that is the strategy. Right. And everybody does a marketing strategy, right? Everybody builds a marketing strategy. And that is typically based on the business strategy itself. So if you're an agency, you go in and you ask the the client, what is your business strategy? And then you build out a marketing um, strategy that supports that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Same with the marketing department. We build our marketing strategy that aligns with business strategy of the company. Um, Where sometimes marketing agencies fall down is they don't build out a measurement strategy. I think that's 
that's the first step, right? So here's our marketing strategy. Don't just send that up the chain and have it be blessed without saying, and here's how we're going to prove the value of that strategy in real numbers that you care about, CEO or CMO or CFO, <laughs> right? Here's, oh, yeah. here, here's where we're going to prove that what we're um, strategizing and the efforts that we're working on are working towards the bottom line. The measurement strategy, the KPIs that, that you determine are going to show your um, efforts are step number one. You have to have that because otherwise it's just execution. It's just we're going to build this, we're going to have this campaign, we're going to have this, and then we're going to hear from sales of, yes, that brought some interesting leads, or it's just too vague. It's just too vague. So if you build the strategy yourself, then you have a little bit more control over what you're watching to make sure that you're aligned and what you sh show up the chain, right, to the client or to uh, the CEO. Wow. Two powerful things in that one is just not, if you don't do this, you're deferring to sales feedback to the CEO. And there's something about sales feedback that is never usually positive about marketing. Right. They're uh, just not sending us the qualified leads, right? They're oh, just not or we, we sent the number, but the quality stinks. Or we, they sent the quality, but the numbers stink. There's something about them, relying on them to, to keep your job for you is just <laughs> not where you want to be. I love that you're saying if you do the marketing strategy and you got to do the marketing strategy, right? have a measurement strategy. And then what you had said, which really appealed to me, and I wrote this down, is put it down in terms that they need to hear in the business terms, not some quirky marketing terms that no one's going to understand and nobody cares about your term. They want to know the business terms. Right, exactly. And it's, it's what they speak. They speak KPIs, business KPIs. And so yes. if you can track it, your measurement strategy all the way to their business KPIs, you've got them. You've hooked them right there, right? Boom. And then the next thing you have to do, and this is a little intense, right, is gather all the data. Um, gather not just the marketing data, right? So you have your realm of data um, from your Facebook channels and your email and from the um, what other, uh, other channels you're executing, a website, obviously, Google Analytics. Um, gather all that data. But then pull in the sales data, pull in the point of sales system if it's a retailer, pull in the CRM, pull in all the data that that company or client uses to measure its business KPIs, right? Because that's how, again, you're, you're trying to entice them to look at marketing as though it's a business driver. Well, how can you know if you're not layering the marketing efforts over the business efforts, the marketing KPIs, the measurement strategy KPIs? over the business KPIs. You can't know unless you're layering those. So it's a, it's a huge effort, but it's totally worth it. And, and then that's again, where you involve sales and anyone else in the business who's tracking those KPIs. And you agree on what I believe these marketing metrics align with the KPIs that you're wanting to track and, and the business you know, owner or the CEO, C-suite says, yes, we agree with that. We agree that if these KPIs are what we're targeting for marketing and we layer it over our business KPIs, this, this will work. Let's try this. So now you have buy-in, mm. right? Buy-in. Yeah. 
that means they're in there with you, right? So I think right. buy-in, part of that, they're in the boat with you. So they're less likely to be like, you sunk the boat, you stink, you're out because they're in there with you and they had you had buy-in from them. Example of that is that's where you have that conversation with sales to say, okay, what is a qualified lead? What are, what are the definitions? Because we're going to build that in to our personas and everyone we're targeting. So when they say, well, you didn't bring us who we wanted, we can say, well, this is the definition you gave us. And this is the definition of, you know, how we're targeting. You can see what we're writing in our, our targets, right? You can see exactly what we're doing. That's such a great point. Um, so huge. I think sometimes people try to get in this territorial battle of, well, if it's called a marketing defined lead or a, whatever the case may be, let's, we define it, you know, we decide right. it, but no, sales is your customer in this situation. Right. And so what a great point you made around, and, and even just a way, like people should just hit rewind 30 seconds and hear the <laughs> way you said it, which is cool. What do you want? Right? What like, want? I, I'm not going to judge you. If you tell me you want pink elephants with, you know, who speak French, cool. I'll get your pink yeah. elephant. Like, that's great. Right. I I get you. I mean, yeah. If my yeah. job is to help you reach your goals, which it obviously right. is, then yeah. Tell me what, tell me what you're aiming for and let me right. help you do it. Um, and the other thing, the, the number of people um, is same, same kind of thing, have that, that question. And that's where you get into, okay, efforts in one channel or ad spend in one channel. If your sales team or whomever in the C-suite thinks it should be, we should spend in this particular channel, yeah. test it out. If it's not working, that's another good conversation to have to say, hey, you know, we, we blasted this particular channel. We didn't get a lot. We didn't get a lot of numbers here, not a lot of qualified leads. So we think we should test over here and see if we have a little more success. Again, you're pulling them in as a partner to say, um, this is the number that you wanted but we don't think we're going to get that number in this channel. So let's look at another channel. You good with that? Let's go. You know, I think what's important about that is that oftentimes people are trying to dictate the how to you. And I think that's where we get in tricky situations. If your goal is to get 300 of these of this pink elephant quality, then, you know, let us go find those for you. Um, but don't say I go get them for me from LinkedIn or from, right. you know, from X trade show, because that trade show, if we're properly tracking may show right. that you get zero from that. And we just wasted 30 K. So right. let us do our job, which is figuring out where to place the bets to get those numbers that you're looking for. Don't necessarily, you know, dictate a particular thing or, Oh, the spam you send is always great. I love it. Well, yeah. the, the, the data shows it's not. So right. So right. let us work on right. that in so our laboratory over here. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The worst client phrase is I went to a conference one time. Right. <laughs> they start a sentence with that. You're like, oh no. And that that usually follows with, okay, we should be doing more in LinkedIn or whatever. Not saying LinkedIn is a bad channel. It's just who knows, right? The marketing well, for, for ads, it very well might be. Let me just tell you that much. And and then all you have left after that is LinkedIn spam. And that's not very good either. So I think right. I'll leave LinkedIn for another part of my list. But yeah, your, your point is totally true. It's just, it's a matter of, it doesn't matter the source per se. It's getting what you want to get and, and, and cringing whenever you hear that someone heard something at a trade show or 
But if they did say they heard it on the hardcore marketing show, you probably are just exuberant, you know, right, and right. excited to hear what idea they came up with. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but again, that's another reason why the data will help you prove what, what you're doing is working. 100%. Plus it's layered, again, it's layered. Your marketing data is layered over their sales data. Um, I, I was talking to someone um, not too long ago, and this leads me to um, the next point, which is you have those key performance indicators right. um, that you've mapped out. And then your staff, let's say you're an agency and, or a marketing director, and now your staff is executing on those key performance indicator. And if that data is layered in a, in a live dashboard, according to your measurement strategy, then you are looking at a dashboard just like in your car, right? Do I have enough oil? Am I going the right speed? Am I in the right lane? I mean, those are all things that your staff needs to be looking at in the middle of the campaign to see, do we need to move ads, ad spend? Um, but I was talking to, uh, I was talking to um, uh, a friend about this and said, man, if we could see that, that would be, that would be excellent because we were in the middle of a campaign. Our, our marketing partner was in the middle of campaign. And in the middle of the campaign, we found out that all of the leads that we were driving to the sales department, the sales department was on PTO. The whole department. Oh, geez. <laughs> it been a nice, nice to know, but they're sending all these leads, right? And so, so your key performance indicators on your marketing side are working, but, but it's not going all the way through to the sales department. The sales, aren't, they're not making the calls, right? So you're not getting- No one's the home. They didn't leave like Fred back at the convert. sales layer to at least call somebody. What is this convert. company doing? Another reason, obviously, to talk to the sales department, right? And, and engage them to say, hey, let's not do that campaign this week because everybody's, everybody's off that day. Um, what, what, it's so important to be in the loop with each other on what campaigns are happening, bandwidth, because I think we forget that it's not enough just to have them complete, convert, whatever. If sales right. needs to call them, we need our partners in crime over here to execute their end. And if there's something in the way, we should right. probably know about it. Right. If my key, to, key performance indicators is that I sent this many leads and you called on them, right. then that's why I need to know. Right. But if it was just, I sent them, that's where we get in trouble. If you that's just have you your said, siloed think, data, you know, exactly. to your point. I sent you these leads and what you did with them is your business. I think that's where marketing, um, if, if we don't go all the way through to the very end, I think that's where we get the ax, not sales, right? 100%. Because we, we didn't prove it all the way through. So, but, but one of the things that we learned um, just on the, the, our digital agency side is that we our reports, which often were 40 pages long, right? Paper, PowerPoint, whatever you want to call them. Um, and they were after the fact. Five days after the month, we would put this 40-page um, report together of all the wonderful things that we did on the digital channels, right? Well, okay, again, because we didn't have a measurement strategy that was tied into um, the business strategy that was layered against all of the other data, we, we couldn't report on anything live. We couldn't say this campaign is going well. Sometimes we would look at individual channels and see if they were they were performing well, right? Mm -hmm. But we couldn't look at a dashboard and say, this is performing well, this is not performing well. Perhaps we should move ad spend and call the client and say, let's move some money. Let's just try it and see. 
I mean, we do that with creative, right? We pull stuff yeah. and we put, you know, we A-B test it, we pull stuff out because it's not performing, we put it back in. But we don't do that from a channel to channel because it's too difficult to see one data set against another unless it's all layered together in a dashboard against the business data. Right. So that really helps you track. And, and if you're an agency, you can just call the, the, the client up and say, hey, do you want to take a look at the dashboard and see what you think of the performance? Do you want to move ad budget in the middle of this campaign? What, what do you think? Or look at, they can say no, because now they can see trends month over month, year over year. And like, no, it's not enough of a dip for us to worry. But wow, you're making that decision mid campaign, not after the fact. You're not pouring over millions of data points, trying to determine where did this where did this fail or when should we have moved money? It can so, be hard doing that, looking at things after the fact. You don't remember the context. You know, did you, did anyone record what happened that day? Well, <laughs> that day the phones were out or that day, exactly. you know, Everybody something happened on Good Morning America. And uh, if you didn't log it, if you didn't, you know, annotate that something critical happened and you don't know. So you're right. Being able to change things mid stride can be really powerful uh, right. because then you don't wait for the lagging indicator. At least you can do something about it, right? If you were right waiting until the end of the campaign to realize sales was out for half of it, right. all you can do is point fingers. You can't take action. It's much more right. proactive to have proactive data. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So, I love your, I love your, your, by the way, your analogy about the layered data, you know, sales data layered over marketing. I don't know about you, but my brain went to like the seven layered nachos, you know, that dip, <laughs> right. And you got the, yeah, exactly. cream in there, you got the cheese, uh, maybe some guacamole, in there. Olives. <laughs> olives, a little lettuce, maybe if you're, you know, all that stuff. But when right. you have that, you have a real dip, like how right. boring compared to that is salsa, right? Right. Okay, you right. got a little salsa, but like, where's the, where's the, you, you don't have a full meal there. You don't have what you're right. really looking for. And so, right. I mean, tell me about how many layers can you put on there? I mean, can you go crazy with this? I, I think you can. I think oh, you cool. can. Um, I think that's where the strategy comes in, where you're saying, okay, we have a million points of data, right? Okay. We have yep. uh, impressions and likes and clicks to open and, uh, you know, website, time on site, time on page, all of that stuff. So I think that's where you have to determine what am I going to boil this down to so that my dashboard is a, I'm looking at um, maybe five or six uh, different dashboards or different charts on this dashboard that are showing me layered data one over gotcha. another. Um, you talked about um, something on Good Morning America. So we've actually, you know, we can we can layer um, social uh, clicks over, let's say, um, trying to think of uh, website hits, right? So let's say we had we sent out um, some paid paid social, right? And we had uh, on a particular product. We did this with a, a retail client, um, paid social on a on a particular product. Um, and we didn't have a lot of uh, clicks on that page social, right? Okay. But we did see, but we did see web traffic on that particular product go up on the exact same day and the day after. So that's a loose correlation, right? That we can make to say, and we can look to um, the retail shop 
to say, okay, do you know what happened with that product? Were you doing anything in store with that product? Because we have a, this particular client keeps it keeps a Google sheet, um, right? Just a just a sheet that they employees load in. We had this many customers, roughly. Um, this was the weather, right? These are some of the weird events that happened that day. So we can look. That's a that's a, an example. Um, minor example of just on that day, what were all the data points on that day? But we can right. see that we did, we ran a social ad and the web hits went up and the product sales also went up. So we can make that correlation to the business owner to say, even though they didn't click, they went to the website and they bought the product, right? right. So, so, so those are some correlations that you can do. There are a lot of other more specific correlations where you can say, we sent this many people. I mean, we've done um, integrated uh, marketing campaigns where we did a cable buy and uh, email marketing, uh, I think a direct mail and um, an email. And we did a comparison of uh, what was the CPU for the cable buy versus the social media buy. Um, and we were able to determine that it was, uh, we, we tracked it all we were able to determine it was $900 if they came in from the cable buy and $9 if they came in from the social media, right? Channels. Wow. So, right. So there's, I mean, so there's your return. And if your average spend of that customer is around $75 per visit, let's say, then you can do the ROI math and say, okay, uh, let's spend a little more on social and a little less in cable. That's not to say, that always social is better than cable, right? right. Because it, it's to say from a measuring standpoint, perhaps on this particular campaign, you should spend more in this channel than that channel and use that channel um, for branding because we can determine that more people know about you, right? Because you're using a, a broadcast channel, if you will. There are just other ways to measure that. You know, what I like about this conversation is that people used to poo-poo maybe in the age of digital to even get people on digital, the, the traditional and probably rightly so. Yeah. But now with so much digital, we're seeing that that direct, direct mails, offline, any, something offline, real world IRL type campaigns can have a great benefit. And then also which I think you you know more than a lot of people, most people that I've talked to is that combined effort of, right. you know, maybe social was nine because we had the TV ads, but if we didn't have the TV exactly. ads, social was like three grand. And exactly. so you actually found this magnificent sweet spot because you were doing both. Right, exactly. I don't ever want to say, oh, don't use this channel, right? right. Or don't use out of door. Don't, that, that's, I, that's not my game. I think- if you're trying to find the pink elephant that speaks French, use whatever channel, like try them all, boil it down and try them all on different campaigns, but, but, but see what you're doing. Don't just try them all and, you know, stick a finger in the wind and go, okay, well, I felt like that worked or, you know, that felt good. Or I, I that's what I don't like. I say, use any channel that you think will work, but then measure it. Yeah. Measure Screw it. your feelings, right? Feelings are nice. <laughs> But measure. <laughs> Feelings are, are nice, nice but measure. But measure, measure yeah. your gut. Your gut yeah. is nice. Trust your gut, but then verify. Yes, trust, trust but verify. verify. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think we need that in Latin. 
you know, for marketing. <laughs> what is trust verify in Latin? I don't know, Ooh, but we should I find know. out. I think, yeah, I think there is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Trust but verify in Latin is confido sed cognoscere. There it is. Okay. Yeah, if you people, if more people spoke Latin, maybe we make that the name of the episode. But I don't, I don't know if people would understand that. <laughs> that might be that might be a good teaser, though, right? Might be. They're like, "Ooh, what is this?" Or they'd be like, "Ooh, what is this?" Either way, yeah, exactly. Either <laughs> and we could way. change it midstream because we're tracking it. There you go. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, to, and then to, to, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. go ahead. Well, the final thing I think is also is analyzing. So one of the yes. things, um, because our 40 page report was too overwhelming, right? Too many data points. This was pre, um, because it was too overwhelming. No one would read it. Our own team wouldn't read it. Right. Um, and they were putting it together. Right. Um, you have to have that, um, analysis. You have to have some highlights of the campaign, some low lights of the campaign because it can't all be perfect, right? Some things that we would need to do differently next time. Um, and then I think, again, that's an opportunity to pull in other people, um, the client, the C-suite, whatever, to say, this is what we saw and this is what we're seeing, but I'm not sure I'm understanding this. I'm not sure on this analysis, this is what I see from a marketing standpoint, but what does this mean? And how do I interpret this from a sales standpoint? or from an operation standpoint, right? Help me out here. This is what I'm seeing. What do you think? Just do a little bit of collaboration on that an analysis, but you have to analyze it and you have to start somewhere to say, this is what the data is telling us, right? So that you can have that pushback. I think a lot of times, um, again, from a marketing standpoint, we hesitate to do that analysis because we don't think either we're qualified or it's only going to be one channel, not only channel. And I don't, I think let, let's Im involve other people in that analysis and say, well, I can tell you what I think it says. What do you think? And have that as a dialogue. Um, I, and I, and I think that's invaluable. The analysis, particularly if you can spit it out in real time, and that's kind of what we're trying to work on is to automate the analysis from a marketing standpoint, right? Because if you yeah, set up yeah. strategy and the KPIs, then, then that's just a data point that you're tracking as you go, right? And then you just add more information in as you go. And capturing the data is great, but if you can't analyze, if you can't make take action off of it, why even capture it in the first place, right? So I love that there's the idea of an analysis built in. And if you can automate it, all the better. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Then you so have to wait for the analysis. You just, it's literally right in front of you. The data is and the analysis is too. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's really, I mean, if you can't analyze it until a month later, if you can't, I mean, obviously pay attention to it mid, mid campaign. Right. Um, and you don't necessarily change mid campaign based on the analysis, but um, it, you have to be looking at it as you go in yeah. order to make those moves. Um, and you have to collaborate, I think, to determine if the moves that you're making uh, make sense for, for all of those data points that are layered in that dashboard. So. It's, it's, it's a tricky thing that I think you've just highlighted the idea that you could have the data in front of you midstream, but if you can't interpret it for right. a month later, it's like you had data after the fact anyways. 
paper so report, I, I could see 40 systems, pages, yeah. some people, even some apps saying, Hey, we got you the, we got you the data right now, but they're so confusing. It's right. not boiled down. Like you're describing it's the 40 pages of data that not even your own right. team's going to read. That doesn't right. help you. You got to have that analysis real time as well exactly. to be able to make a change. Exactly. And a lot of times that day, that analysis can say, Hey, are we pulling the right KPIs that right. you have to have, you have to be willing to have that kind of conversation as well, because what if you're not right? right? I mean, uh, there's no harm, no foul, right? That the data points that you've always been watch, watching and paying attention to maybe the wrong data points, that would be a good thing. I know when we first started this, um, that was a, a key concern of our staff of what, what if we're not doing things right? And I was like, well, okay, wouldn't you want to know? Right. <laughs> right. Don't you want to know how it's performing? I do. The, I know the client does. So, so let's take a look. Right. I mean, I think that you can't be, you can't be afraid of it. Um, and it has to be collaborative and, um, and, and you have to be willing to change the points that you're looking at as you go. And, and that truly is the point of the conversation to say, well, Hey, let's just, let's layer this on top of this and see what we get. Right. Mm -hmm. Until, until you finally do get a true KPI that will tell you we're tracking and we are contributing. Um, that's where I think you get into a lot of the attribution modeling, right. Um, it would be great to automate that um, it, and to customize it. It's, it's easy, it's not easy. It's, um, you can customize it. Mm -hmm. That can be built in to the dashboards and the strategy as well to say, okay, um, for this particular campaign, we're using this particular attribution model, not saying it's the one and only attribution model, but we're gonna use this one for this campaign and we're gonna call it good. We have agreement around the table <clears throat> that this is gonna be it. And this is what we're going towards um, yeah. and not get into a fight of you use the wrong attribution model or, you know what I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. Those are just conversations that, that need to be had both before um, you build the dashboard or before, or as you're writing the, the measurement strategy, what are we going to agree to of where we're going to pull the data and what, and how we're going to assign the value. hundred percent. And I, I think I've, I highly recommend when you when you're doing that, working with technology and a lot of systems have it so that you can you can change it on the fly, which is really helpful because you you may have it set to something, but then switching it over may show you something different. And I'm a big fan of first touch, but sometimes you might go even waiting and see if a particular trend pops out or something else shows up, or or especially for more commerce wise, it's that last touch, but eh, what was that first touch? I mean, you know, it's so right. kind of just right. being flexible, being a little semper gumby, trying to just see where the trends might pop out. It can be really beneficial. And you doing that in math or trying to write something goofy in Excel is not going to be it. So you need to no. use some technology to give you that yes. advantage. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I think when you're having, when marketing is having those conversations with the C-suite or the client, it really... Um, it lends a little bit more credibility to the value that it can bring, right? Where it's, it's, it's less about, I'm not saying creative is not important. It is, but it's less about let's build this particular graphic or appealing um, uh, website or something like that to drive traffic. It's really more into the analytics of the business and how we, we pull levers. It's all 
um, kind of a crapshoot, right? It, it, it's there, there's, there are a million different things that you can do. But when you start looking at it from a how do I drive business and how do I align the marketing KPIs to the business KPIs, you're in the room a lot longer and you're given a lot more consideration when the budget talks ha happen. I, I really just believe that's that's how it happens. It's not, it can't be all, we provide the creative that drive revenues. We, it just can't be. 100%. Um, and one of the things you'd mentioned too, we talked a little bit about the offline world. Tell me about events. Are you, are you going to start, are you going to them again? Are you traveling again? I'm sort of, post-COVID days or what are you seeing in the marketing world? Yeah, I think we are starting to. I am. Uh, I haven't checked inbound and when that's happening, that's one of the ones that we have always mm -hmm. attended in the past. One of the ones that um, we attended right before COVID hit was in Cleveland and it was the Maycon, which is probably a horrible um, acronym, but it's Marketing AI uh, Marketing Artificial Intelligence Institute Conference in Cleveland. Um, it, it was super interesting. Um, that was kind of where our heads were, and we we made some inroads there with uh, with a couple of uh, of people. But it was just I thought it was just it was interesting how AI interesting. right uh, impacts yeah. marketing, and and that was just um, uh, something that interested me. You got to imagine that you know Cleveland hasn't been that interesting before or since that conference happened. Um, <laughs> well, I will say this, uh, a lot of the events I go to, I hate to say this, um, cause my staff may, may, uh, see this podcast. Revolt. Um, uh, yeah, maybe edit this part out. Um, I, <laughs> I will, I will, uh, admit that some of the places that I go to for conferences may or may not be close to a national park that I haven't visited yet. Well, I mean, supporting the environment is just part of the daily life. Uh, sometimes I prefer to visit conferences in the desert because, yes. you know, right. desert living is clean. Um, right. And, you know, Vegas is in the desert. Right. So, yeah, but uh, Cleveland, I guess they just something yeah. hey if they can i think the owner that i think the founder is from cleveland has a marketing department marketing firm in cleveland and that's and so he just doesn't want to leave right um but there is a national park the cuyahoga valley national park is 45 minutes outside the town of cleveland okay well then then that whole trip was worth it even if the conference was terrible but you know marketing so, and ai are, are best buds so i think there's plenty to be seen there it just maybe Cleveland itself, but hey, you know what? National Park can redeem the entire city. That's how bad it there is. You there you go. Yeah. I had no idea until yeah, until I saw that the and this the, podcast is clearly not sponsored by the city, you know, the Chamber of Commerce of Cleveland. Clearly, um, but clearly. if they want to sponsor, they can reach out to me. You know, for there sure. you go, there you go. I I can hook you up. <laughs> well, hey, another quick question for you around books, books, reading. I mean, I do a lot of Audible books. You know, the the listening ones. Are there any things you've been listening to lately or reading or ones that you recommend a lot? Um, you know, uh, business books always, uh, uh, Radical Candor. Um, um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, I think I had one written down. It's the second book of the Tao by oh. Stephen Mitchell. Um, so yeah, I do a lot of... Um, Zen and and Dow, I'm a big believer in that. And so um, Stephen Mitchell um, took 
not Lao Tzu's work, but some disciples of Lao Tzu. I think it's Xuanzi uh, hmm. was one disciple. And I've so, heard the name before. Yeah. Okay. So it took kind of Xuanzi's uh, teachings based on Lao Tzu's teachings and cut, boiled it down, kind of a hack, if you will, for the Tao. Um, easier to read, kind of irreverent, which I love, um, so that it's not so heavy. Um, and I just love it. And it's a good book just to have on your desk and pick up. And, and um, I don't know if you've ever done this, but um, you just open it up, um, stick your finger and see what passage comes up and see if it's applicable to whatever you're dealing with that day. Um, I know that's not a business book, but that's a great life book for me. Um, and I'm, I'm all about that. Um, I, I do read some business books, but I'm more into um, kind of books about just how do you live your life? And then business is a part of that. You know, your work is 100%. part of that. Yeah. yeah. Cause we're, we're all marketing to humans after all. And it really right. is a, a human game and you could know all the marketing strategy in the world, but if you're depressed and you can't get out of bed and you, or you yeah. don't want to be productive, then it doesn't really matter how much, you know, you need to be able to be that balanced person, at least for a yeah. moment. <laughs> Yeah, at least for a moment. Yeah. Um, there's another one that was interesting that I just finished not too long ago. And we actually did um, uh, at a staff meeting. We talked about it. It's called Positive Intelligence by um, I think it's Shiraz Shamin. He's a neuroscientist um, that studies a lot of the um, obviously from a neurological standpoint, it's your um, personality traits, thing, things like that, but from a neurological standpoint. And I, and I really like that. I know my staff is big into Enneagram. In, in oh yeah. Enneagram. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something like that. I liked his book a little bit more because it has to deal with um, the science of the brain yeah. um, as it, as it relates to that. And so, and, and he um, is a business coach, teaches um, business leaders and teams. Hmm. And I, it was very relatable. I really liked that as well. Radical powerful things. Or, yeah. Hmm? Yeah. Powerful things. I, I think yeah. for me, the Enneagram, what the takeaway I had was, I mean, it did have some sort of a spiritual tie into it, but uh, one of the things that I got from it was that you had like a personality type. Sure. But then it also showed you the one that you did when you were stressed out. And oh, yeah. like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes yeah. sense. It's like, that's where you recognized yourself right yeah is where is on the stress right yeah You're like oh yeah i am kind of like this but then oh yeah i'm kind of like that too yeah <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. so uh man what's it like a, a powerful marketing conversation i'm just really curious like who are you <laughs> how do you know all these things can you just take me back in time to like little kim days where did you grow up? Did you always know you're going to be running companies and teaching people marketing and building technology? No, 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 and no. Um, <laughs> I grew up in uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas. Okay. Um, only girl of uh, four children, so three brothers. Um, just a, a small town girl. Um, Catholics went to Catholic school, big Catholic family. Um, but I spent, uh, my, my, my grandfather on my mother's side passed away, uh, before I was born. And so she was a widow and had, um, they, Arkansas is known for this. They raised, um, chickens for <laughs> Tyson, right. And really? they just bought this in house. Yes. And so she had all of these 
she had a business to run basically and she was by herself and so we went down to what we called the country which was a town of about 200 people where I was related to everyone there um and helped her every weekend so I kind of feel like I'm a small town city girl with a country side too because we would go down and feed the chickens and help um with the cows that her brother ran and um she had a giant garden so we would shuck corn and and all that so so I I have very much of a um country background as well as a small town how old were you when you're doing that shucking corn and helping out with the um the you know six to about high school pretty Uh much yeah yeah so you're working I mean that must have just kept your feet planted on the ground and practical I think that's why I'm a lover of natural, uh, national parks and yeah, nature in general. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would, I would attribute that to my grandmother's style of living. Um, yeah, absolutely. But Very, I get that sort of dreamer quality, but also with the ability to be practical at the same time, say, look, somebody's got to shuck this corn. It doesn't shuck itself. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Somebody's got to do the hard work. Um, but then my, I, I did not, um, envision being a business owner at all. Right. Um, I had dreams of being a scientist. That was my, I wanted to be uh, a researcher. Um, and so I, I actually headed in that direction. I was a biology major in college. Um, but, um, mm, I, I hate telling the story, but it is my story. I do and did impersonations as a kid. My brothers and I would do voices. And so in high school, I uh, won a Valley Girl Sound Alike contest because there was money involved. And so um, oh, yeah. part of it was also that you would get to be a guest DJ on this radio station for two days. So I was a guest DJ with a guy who also did voices. So that became our shtick. He would call me before school in the morning and we would, I would, he would say, okay, I'm going to do this and you do that voice and we're going to have this conversations. And so we did that. And then he just hired me as a disc jockey on the AM station, which was horrible. I didn't get to do voices. It was just punching buttons and, and doing a, a very lofty voice to make it sound like I wasn't 18. Oh, um, right, right. And so, so I did that. And then I went off to college and uh, was doing a, my biology major. And I, I had a meltdown because I made a C in microbiology. I thought, well, I'm oh, never right. If I'm in um, undergrad and I can't make a, a higher grade than that. And so in the meltdown, my mother said, well, you were a disc jockey, so maybe you should be a journalist. Yeah. And yeah. I said, okay. So I switched my major to journalism and graduated with that. Got a job right out. I got a job in college as a production assistant at a local TV station here in Oklahoma City. And then I was a reporter. If I, uh, here's the, the other bad part of that story. Um, I graduated college. I had the job at the TV station. Um, the GM announced that they were going to do random drug testing and everyone left <laughs> for me. So don't do drugs. 
So yeah, they all left. I'm not kidding. So I was promoted to a reporter two months out of college. I was so bad. I was so bad. I was so bad. But everyone else like bounced because of the drug test. But what an opportunity. It was a great opportunity. It was an awesome opportunity. But oh my Lord, it was so bad. It was so bad. I made all my my mistakes in a pretty big market. I mean, it was a size 30 market at the time. And it was like 30,000. Is that what that? Um, you know, I think they rank, I think there's like, I don't know, 200 some odd TV stations in, um, in the United States. And so they rank them that way. So this is number 30. It was a pretty big market. You're supposed to go down to like a hundred, uh, right out of college and make all your mistakes there. And, and yeah, I didn't do that. I made them all here. So, yeah. Well, you, you know, you make them nice and quick and then hopefully you learn from that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So I, um, in the meantime, during all of this time, my dad who, um, had worked for, um, an, um, a, uh, car dealership as a mechanic, he opened his own shop. So he became the entrepreneur, the business owner in my family, reluctantly. So he didn't want to work for the dealership anymore, but he didn't think he could do his own business. And I think I inherited that from him, that fear of stepping out on my own, but I, but I did that. So, so I'm fast forwarding past my, um, I was a reporter for five years, uh, here in this market. And then I was, a information director, public information director for a state investigative agency. I did that for a long time. And part of that was um, lobbying. And I loved lobbying as well for legislation at the Capitol. Really? Oh, I mean, that just seems like a tough gig or, or is it not, it's just, it's just making connections or is that just like a battle? Um, You know, uh, to do it as a, um, as a state employee is a little bit tougher because you can't make the connections, right? You can't take them out to dinner you can't be a typical lobbyist. So right. what, the way I did it, I don't know if that's the way everybody else did it, but the way I did it is I befriended the, the, uh, the policy staff, right? Oh, and yeah. So yeah, they, yeah. And so I, I found myself writing policy a lot, right? Just co-writing <sighs> policy with staff, which was a blast. I loved that. Um, and so that, yeah, that was fun. But then you, then you did have to kind of run around and just manage the legislators a little bit, which is right. So is there, is there a future, you know, mayor? Oh no. Governor on the, uh, on the The power is in the policy writers. The power is in the policy writers. The power is not in the elected official, in my opinion. Got it. It's in, it's in the people behind the scenes that are writing the policy. Yeah. So none of that experience made you think I should run for office sometime. No, no, (laughs) I think no. It's too, um, you're too out front and that's just, I, I way, I, I much prefer behind the scenes, yeah. much prefer behind the scenes. I mean, I was, um, uh, you know, obviously in TV, I was a reporter, I was on TV, mm-hmm. um, but I, I got in oh. trouble a lot for not being, uh, for not doing enough standups. And I, my thought was, well, the reporter's not the story. So therefore i don't need to do i don't need to be on camera all the time but but i mean they did kind of force my hand on trying to break the model on them they just can't can't handle they're like no this is the formula i need you to do it this way right do it this way do it this way but to me it was always about the story and if if i didn't have video to cover the story i would do a stand-up but if i had video i don't need to be on camera right yeah especially if you had 
live action, something happening on video. It's like, I don't want to see you. I want to see what's going on over here. Come on. Right. Right. Who cares? Right. So, yeah. But um, uh, obviously it's on camera as a spokesperson for the OSBI, but, but not in the policy work. That's what I preferred. So, um, and then um, jumped from there to um, the governor, press secretary for Governor Henry, who was governor two governors ago. Um, and it got to do a little policy work there too. Um, I, some of the policy work that I uh, was involved in is why you can't buy Allegra or is it Sudafed? Yeah, Sudafed um, over the counter anymore. God, you're the one that messed yeah. up my meth cook. <laughs> I did, I did, I did, I did. That was me, sorry. Um, it became national mo- model legislation. I had no idea it would, but. Um, we were just trying to keep the meth labs from, you know, overrunning the state. Are you but, basically yeah. saying that you're the reason for, for Breaking Bad as a TV show? Like it all started with you? Yes. That we're yes. going to run with? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm going to say that. No. Yes, I'm going to say that. And then we'll just, we'll use their, uh, their, their logos and graphics at the beginning of the show with the theme song. There you go. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Somehow can you align that with the, the whole um, Latin <laughs> Yes. Uh, what was it? What we said? Uh, yes, the Latin. But, but verify. Yeah. Yes, trust yeah. but verify. Trust but verify. Confido said cognoscere. Yes. Yes. If yes. I'm saying that wrong, someone just email me. Uh, fide said verifica. Ooh. <laughs> Clearly, did not take a single minute of Latin in school. I didn't either. I didn't yeah. either. I mean, and all, you would think being you know, a Catholic school, but whatever. It's all no. Espanol. So, I mean, if you want to talk bachata, I'm there, but like, I got okay. nothing else. I got, I got no Latin. I got, uh, I'm uh, Tarzan French. I can speak. This <laughs> what is Tarzan French? Well, that's when you say me, Tarzan, Eugene. Like, but oh. In French. oh, so you sound like that to like a, yeah. like a fluent, yeah. they'd be like, oh, oh, who's this American who speaks Tarzan French? Yeah, exactly. totally. totally. See, the benefit for me with French is that I can be polite and I got nothing else. And I, so I, I can't even try. But I'm just like, right. I've got enough to be polite. And then you need to help me and with then, everything then. else. And then yeah, they yeah. seem to be okay with that when I went to visit. Yeah, as long like, as you okay, cool. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm not like, yeah. oh, I kind of am fluent. And they're like, no, you're not. Your grammar's all over that place. No, yeah. it's like, I, I got nothing. Please, thank you. Thank you, please. Yeah, yeah. please, please, yeah. please. Yeah. Don't they start El Eiffel Tower? <laughs> Uh, try a little Spanish on them, see what happens. Uh, well, and so where did the agency come from? Oh, so um, yeah, jumped from um, the uh, press secretary job. I wanted to try my hand at the, in the corporate world and I went to Cox Communication for a year and I uh, had the opportunity uh, to jump out from that and take them as a client. And I just thought, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna yeah. Much wringing of hands and, and gnashing of teeth. I was just worried that I wouldn't know the business aspect of it. I pretty much, I thought, okay, I can do the PR side of it, right? That's my background. That's what I've done forever. But I didn't know the business side. And so that's what I worried about. Um, but I had them as a client. And um, and the very next day, this is the weirdest thing. Um, I landed another client. It was the husband of a lady that I worked with at Cox who needed some help with crisis management and, um, oh. and some help at the Capitol. And I had both of those. So I 
signed them. And then six months later, I signed a, a fairly giant client um, that was our largest uh, client for years. Wow. And that's kind of what I built the, the business on. Um, I had them as a PR and then, you know, social media hit and we, we built up their social media channels. And so as we did that for that larger client, we kind of became their external marketing department right. for, for all things digital as well as PR. Um, and that's how we built the rest of our, our business. We brought in other clients and, and, um, and built that as well. Yeah. And, and because um, they had such data, right, on, on their businesses, we had 60 of their businesses because they had all of these data points, we're like, we really want to get better at showing what our part of contributing to those businesses, um, what we're doing that contributes to those businesses. So yeah. that's what we built um, Oris. That's when we built the marketing analytics tool. Wow. Um, and right now it's super custom, right? Because it was custom for them. It still is. It's not a SaaS product. product. We're calling it a ser ser service with software. So yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It makes sense. You need the, you need a team to go along with it, but it supports that and makes it all more efficient. Saves everyone time. Right. right. Saves everyone money. And the insights, that's where, like, insights, where the yeah. service, that's where the service part is, but, but yeah, so that's, um, we, we sold a good bit of the digital book of business from that one client to, um, just last year during COVID. And so now we're kind of building back the, the, um, agency side. And then obviously building out the, the analytics side as well. Wow. All right. So I have this hypothetical for you. I may or may not have a time machine up here in New Hampshire. And let's say you're visiting New England and you get a chance to come use the machine and we'll get, you'll get a bottle of wine. You get to go use the time machine, maybe some lobster. It'll be a grand time. But this time, parks? what's that? Are there national, national parks? Oh yeah. The time machine is right next to a national park. Okay. Okay, cool. And then, <laughs> uh, so this machine takes you back in time uh, and you actually get to meet yourself. You get to meet yourself a few days after that, that college education, you know, that, that journalism and you, you just graduated a few days earlier. You get to meet that version of you, that Kim, and you get to talk to her too. What would you tell her? What kind of advice would you give her? What kind of things would you say? Um, I think... I would um, get basically tell that version of myself to do what you fear. I, I think maybe as I've gotten older or I don't know, I mean, as a, I mean, I've done a ton of crisis communications and I feel like I can see all of the negative things. I think some of this might also be hereditary. But I feel like I can see all of the potential negative things almost automatically. And that has a tendency to make me pull back instead of move forward. Um, I, I can do it for a client super easy, right? But for myself, I, when I only see all of the bad things that could happen, I think it makes me hesitate and sometimes not jump um, when every single time I have actually just jumped, it, the payoff has been amazing. So uh, either do what you fear or ignore that um, voice in your head that's running the traps all the time, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think that would probably be uh, good advice to that, uh, to that self, probably then and now. 
Yeah. Um, and then the other one is, um, is why I read books like um, the second book of the Tao or um, uh, wherever you go, there you are. And that is j- just let it be just, you know, you cannot push the rope, right? You just can't. So quit worrying about all of the potential things. I mean, it's probably this, the same advice. You can't push the rope. You can make certain things happen, obviously. You can do your best, um, but then you, you have to let, you have to let it ride. Yeah. And be let okay. it ride. Let it ride be, and be okay with it and make the best out of whatever happens. That also I've noticed if I look back or, you know, uh, even as I get prepared for something, um, invariably that will be a lot easier, right? It'll be a lot easier, yeah. right? Yeah. Your experience. I feel about podcasts, you know, you hit record and just <laughs> let it ride and see what happens. And you know what? It ends up working out great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I was talking about how horrible I was as a reporter um, in that market. My first um, live shot uh, was from a city council meeting in a, um, a town outside of Oklahoma City. And I was prepared. I did all the prep for it. And I started the interview, the live interview. And the whole right side of my body started shaking uncontrollably. Oh, like, no. Whole, I mean, I was like, what is this? It's never done it, but never did it before. Never done it since. But luckily, the, the man that I was interviewing saw it and just kind of took over, just started talking, talking, talking so that I could like compose myself, <laughs> compose myself. So, yeah. So there's a there's a podcast experience for you. You haven't had that happen to you yet, right? No, no. I've definitely probably introduced not. people wrong. And uh, you know what's fun to, you know, I probably just like with you l- listening back to early you reporting is me listening to episode mm-hmm. sub oh, yeah. 10 or 20 even. Uh, the very first episode had, I don't think I even had a agenda or a script. I just got on with a friend and we're like, let's ch- chat about marketing because we have good conversations and it went fine. And then, you know, very quickly I had, Adele Ravella, who I probably had no business talking to just yet on the podcast, schooling me about buyer personas and, and just away we went and it sort of developed over time. But yeah, looking back on those episodes, it's bizarre and, and how it all works out. But you just let it ride and look what happened. Look where you are. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. You just keep doing it. You just keep going. You do your best with what you have at the time. And then all, all of a sudden all that work pays off. 100%. Now, I I can't let you get out of here before I ask you about this national park thing. You freaking love national parks and you're on an adventure, right? Are you trying to get to all of them in the U.S. or what is the the mission? Trying to get to all of them or as as many as I possibly can. I had a friend that got to 20 this year. I'm so jealous. I I think I'm only, um, I'm not even halfway through. I probably, I'm probably at 24 and there's 60 now because they just made, um, uh, the great sand dunes just became one and they just i think they reinstituted escalante but i don't know if it's a park i think it's a monument Wait, um, how many are there national parks 60 60 60 yeah how many have and you been to 24 24 so which you're not even halfway yet but that's a probably a lot more than everyone yeah, a lot. I, I don't know. That would be a good, that would be a good, um, 
statistic to pull. I don't know. I mean, I just started this journey maybe five years ago. I mean, so a lot of the ones that I've been to, I went to as a kid. Um, and so I will not revisit them until I get, you know, to the new ones. And, but, but I mean, there are a lot in um, Alaska, but that's a lot of land mass. Ooh, yeah. Right. So I'm going to have to spend like a month in Alaska to get all five. But I did the Fab Five in, um, or the Fantastic Five in Utah in like a week. So, and there, and that was amazing. I, mm. I had no idea Southern Utah was such a was such gorgeous country. I mean, I knew that monuments were there, but I, I just, I didn't know until I went. So it was awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Looking at a map. You? You're looking at a map. You're looking at a map of the U.S. of all the national parks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Interesting. See, I I'm out East and we've got Acadia, which I've been to, but then yeah. a few on the East, but man, there's a lot out West, a lot out West, a lot in Utah, California, um, Alaska has a ton. Um, uh, you grew Florida. up in one, right? Hot Springs. Hot Springs. Yes. That's a weird one. <laughs> I mean, there's the national forest, which is beautiful, but the hot Springs is like the hot Springs bath. That's weird to me. It's not, I mean, it's a natural spring. So I guess that's why it has an interesting history. You know, that's where all the, I don't know if you're a baseball fan or not, but that's where spring training was in the twenties. Yeah. Hot springs, spring training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's where all the, that's where all the, you know, I guess the mafia was big there for a time. Gotcha. That's where it's a, it's an interesting history. I think I've probably been to, Maybe five of these yeah. at this list. Yeah. So, so that makes yeah. 24 a little bit more impressive now to me, uh, <laughs> especially because they're scattered about and not too many out our way. I'm one near me and that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Acadia. Travel. I haven't been to Acadia. Um, oh yeah. Oh, definitely want to hit that one up there. It's just yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, Mount Rainier sure. as well out West. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've done that Mount Rainier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Oh, I see a lot. I see what you mean. Oh my gosh, there's gates of the Arctic way at the tippy top. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're gonna save those for last? You're gonna save Hawaii for last, maybe American Samoa. You know, um, probably Hawaii for last. I mean, I I, I need to go to Alaska. I want to see so many in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to do that soon, sooner than later. Yeah, but um, but I've been to the Virgin Islands and, okay. and that one's amazing. I haven't been to the dry Tortegas. I haven't, I haven't done that one yet. Um, uh, I haven't done Acadia. There's, um, there's one in um, near Chicago. It's an odd one. Is that the Indiana dunes? Yeah. The dunes in Chicago. That, that's an odd one. Huh. There's the great sand dunes in, um, in Colorado too, which is also strange. You can actually sled down the dunes in a little plastic sled and and there'll be snow all around you. Right. And you know what? 60 is a lot, but man, this list, this actually seems like a really cool goal. How did you stumble across this? Did did you, have you had that for a while or? I have like about five years ago, um, you know, people were talking about their bucket list and I'm like, okay, what is my bucket list? And I, you know, it, it just, said it as that I, at the time I was running 
And so I was looking for cool places to do races, right? Yeah. Um, and I kind of hung up my running shoes since then. And I just thought, well, I, you know, it kind of got me on the um, looking at cool places there. Just thought, well, what national parks are around there? We could go to a national park while I'm there. And so then I thought, well, why don't I just go to all these national parks? So that's that's kind of how I, how I, that's probably how I do everything, right? You get on a, an internet spiral, right? And just Usually at, at, at 1 a.m. when you should be sleeping and then <laughs> exactly. get on some idea. No, for those listening, I, I recommend you uh, do a quick Google, uh, National Parks. Uh, for those not in the U.S., U.S. National Parks, just to get a sense for what we're talking about. Um, yeah. and I'm sure, you know, folks listening abroad have the parks across their countries as well, but just I didn't even, some of those, I heard the names. I didn't even know that's, that's where it is, that pin on the map. And that seems like a really cool goal to just try to get to all these places. Right. And so, and if you're on your own business, then, you know, find a conference with, with a national right. nearby. <laughs> right. And hopefully it's in the same industry, but e- either way, who's counting? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Whatever works. <laughs> This is a this is a manufacturing industry conference over here. Well, they, they need marketing. They need PR. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Find some people. <laughs> oh, man, that's amazing. Well, where can people connect with you if they want to reach out? They want to talk more about PR, marketing. They want to get more information on Oros. Throw out all the URLs, all the social platforms, all that good stuff. Well, I should probably give the company URLs because the company is a little bit more active than I am. And so Oros Analytics is orosanalytics.com, O-R-O-S. And Cook Communications is cookcom, K-O-C-H-C-O-M-M.com. Um, and that's where you can um, you can find us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. We're all um, Instagram. Um, I'm not as active I should, as I should be. That's one of my goals for, um, 20, 2022 is to get a little bit better on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's not, um, it's not been a focus of my, of mine. It's kind of that be in the background kind of thing that, uh, I prefer to be, and I prefer the company to be out there. Um, but I think I need to do a little bit more on LinkedIn and I've taken a couple of, uh, classes to get a little bit better, but don't look at the LinkedIn profile just yet. It's not, it's not where it needs okay, to be. Okay. Well, maybe by the time this comes out, you know, yes. maybe we, yes. we make that a little motivation for you, you know, yes. and then yes. a bunch of friendly listeners to the show can just shoot you an totally. invite and tell you they heard you on the show and they really liked your head to talk about it. Maybe they need to get some more help with analytics or PR or marketing and great. That'd yeah. be great. Totally. Well, Kim, thank you so much for coming on here. This has been a, like just the best chat ever. Thank you, Casey. This has been awesome. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And for those people listening, if you've learned something and I freaking know you have, because I literally have two pages of notes front and back over here, then share this with someone else. Be a thought leader. That's how you do it. You just share some content with someone else and and teach them something that you learned. Um, And that really gets this podcast all around the world. And that's how we help people out. And man, Kim, this is amazing. Thank you again. It's awesome. Thank you. I really do. I really appreciate it. It was great fun. Great fun indeed. Now I'm going to get to some national parks. And and with that, I got to get out of here so I can go get to the national parks. So for those people listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.